This is section 16 of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain, section 16, Territorial Enterprise, February 1864, part 3. Territorial Enterprise, February 1864, Legislative Proceedings, Carson, February 16, 1864. Mayor Arick, Joe Goodman, George Birdsall, young Harris, and other solid citizens of Virginia arrived at three this morning, having left home at midnight. They came down to see how the capital question was going. Send a lot more down, the more the merrier, and the greater degree of interest is exhibited. Virginia seldom does things by halves. She generally comes out strong when she takes hold of a question. Mark. Mr. MacDonald moved a recess. Mr. Claggett hoped the motion would not prevail. He wished to go on with the regular business, introduction of bills, etc. Sensation among opponents to the removal of the capital. The motion was lost. Mr. Claggett moved a call of the House. Numerous objections. The motion was carried. Eyes seven, noes five. After a moment's delay, Mr. Dixon moved that further proceedings under the call be dispensed with. Lost. The absentees, Messrs. Unger and Curler, were brought forward and excused, and further proceedings under the call were then dispensed with. Mr. Phillips moved a recess. Lost. Eyes 9, nose 11. Mr. Claggett then, pursuant to previous notice, introduced an act to locate permanently the capital of the territory, at Virginia, that city to provide suitable buildings for five years at her own cost, before October 1, 1864, otherwise the act to be null and void. The bill was read in answer to numerous calls. Mr. Elliott moved that the rules be suspended and the bill engrossed for a third reading. Mr. Dixon strenuously objected, and said he couldn't see the object of rushing this bill through with such indecent haste. Behold the virtuous member from Landar, the heart of the same being in Carson. Mark. Mr. Unger moved to refer the bill to the Story Delegation, with instructions to report forthwith. Mr. Phillips moved to amend by substituting the Gold Hill portion of the Story Delegation. Mr. Claggett hoped the amendments would be rejected, and Mr. Elliott's motion agreed to, and in his remarks called attention to the fact that Ormsby County made a written pledge last year that she would furnish free halls to the legislature from and after that session but had violated her pledge inasmuch as those same county commissioners have charged and received five hundred dollars for the halls now being used by the assembly. Mr. Dixon did not want things rushed so. He wanted things printed. He didn't know anything about things, and he wanted time to gain information. He couldn't see what members meant by springing things in this way. Emotion, indicative of the distress which a Lander member with his heart in Ormsby must naturally feel when he sees an attempt made to ravish Carson against her will. Mr. Dixon sat down weeping and snuffling and wiping his nose on his coat-sleeve. That's a joke of mine. He had a handkerchief with him. Mark. Mr. Tennant called for the reading of Ormsby's pledge, and Mr. Claggett got it from Mr. Calder and read it. Mr. Stewart made an eloquent appeal in behalf of Ormsby County, and moved as a substitute to the three or four motions already before the House, that the bill be referred to a special committee, to consist of one member from each county, with instructions to report tomorrow morning. Carried, 
on a division, eyes 13, nose 4. The Speaker appointed the committee as follows. Messrs. Claggett, Stewart, Curler, Dean, Elliott, Gove, MacDonald, Tennant, and Partridge. Territorial Enterprise, February 1864. Legislative Proceedings, House, 37th Day. Carson, February 17th. Dallam, of the Carson Independent, makes a full and unqualified apology to me this morning, an entire column of it. He says he was not in his right mind at the time, and hardly ever is. Now, when a man comes out like that, and owns up with such pleasant candor, I think I ought to accept his apology. Consequently, we will call it square. It is flattering to me to observe that Dallam's editorials display great ability this morning, and that the paper shows an extraordinary degree of improvement in every respect. A becoming modesty should characterize us all— it is not for me to say who the credit is due to for the improvements mentioned. I only say I am glad to see the independent looking healthy and vigorous again. Mark. Petition. Mr. Stewart presented a petition signed by most of the responsible citizens of Ormsby, he said, setting forth that it had just come to a knowledge of the fact that Ormsby commissioners had pledged free legislative halls and violated that pledge. The petitioners promise that the rent money shall be at once refunded. Mr. Stewart also presented a communication from the Secretary of the Territory acknowledging the receipt of the full amount of the rent money, $500, as paid over to him by the petitioners yesterday. Mr. Stewart moved the reference of the two documents to the Special Committee on Removal of the Capital. Mr. MacDonald objected that the committees spoken of were ready now to report according to instructions. He moved to lay the papers on the table, to be taken up at pleasure. Carried. Question of Privilege. Mr. Stewart rose to a question of privilege, and spoke at considerable length upon two editorials in the Enterprise in relation to the removal of the Capitol, and a communication upon the same subject in the same paper written by one looker-on, but whom Mr. Stewart, with ghastly humor and with relentless and malignant irony, persisted in calling looker-on or hanger-on, I don't know which. He said the gashery bill for supporting Ormsby County paupers, and which expense the territory was asked to pay, only amounted to $877, instead of the large amount stated by the writer of the article. The amount being less, don't you see, the principle is not the same. Of course. Certainly. Wherefore? Why not? The gentleman's question of privilege was well taken. As long as the paupers did not cost, or proposed to cost the territory much, it was impertinent in a newspaper to mention it. That is the way Mr. Stewart and I look at it. Mark. Mr. Stewart said the balance of the money was cash paid out of Mr. Cashery's own pocket in the catching of territorial criminals, and of course as anybody would willingly acknowledge it was the territory's place to pay it. Mr. Claggett, from the Special Committee on the Removal of the Capital, presented a majority report favoring the removal. Mr. Stewart, from the same committee, presented a minority report recommending the indefinite postponement of the bill. Mr. Dixon moved the reference of both reports to Committee of the Whole. Mr. MacDonald moved to amend by accepting the majority report. On a division, Mr. Dixon's motion prevailed, 13 to 11. Mr. Claggett called for the reading of the amendments recommended by the majority report, which was done. 
stipulates that Virginia shall also furnish Supreme Court rooms and clerk's offices for five years. Rep. Mr. Stewart moved that the Ormsby petition and the communication from the Secretary of the Territory be referred to Committee of the Whole. Carried. Mr. Barclay moved a reconsideration of the vote by which the bill and the above documents were referred to the Committee of the Whole, lost by the following vote. Eyes. Messrs. Barclay, Claggett, Curler, Elliott, Gillespie, Heaton, MacDonald, Nelson, Requa, Tennant, Unger, 11. Noes. Messrs. Brumfield, Calder, Dean, Dixon, Fisher, Gove, Hess, Hunter, Jones, Phillips, Stewart, Trask, Mr. Speaker, 13. Mr. Elliott moved that the capital bill be made the special order for tomorrow morning at 11 a.m., lost by the following vote. Requires a two-thirds vote to carry. Eyes. Messrs. Barclay, Calder, Claggett, Elliott, Fisher, Gillespie, Heaton, MacDonald, Nelson, Phillips, Requa, Tennant, Unger, and Mr. Speaker, 14. Noes. Messrs. Brumfield, Curler, Dean, Dixon, Gove, Hess, Hunter, Jones, Stewart, and Trask, 10. Mr. Brumfield moved to change the time to 12 o'clock Saturday night, the moment when the legislature adjourns finally. Mr. Claggett opposed the motion lost by the following vote. Eyes, Messrs. Brumfield, Dean, Dixon, Gove, Hess, Hunter, Jones, Stewart, 9. Noes, Messrs. Barclay, Calder, Claggett, Curler, Elliott, Fisher, Gillespie, Heaton, MacDonald, Nelson, Phillips, Requa, Tennant, Trask, Unger, Mr. Speaker, 16. Mr. Claggett said that in order to stop this frittering away of valuable time, and in order to get a test vote, he would move that the bill be considered engrossed and ordered to a third reading, carried by the following vote. Eyes: Messrs. Barclay, Brumfield, Calder, Curler, Claggett, Elliott, Fisher, Gillespie, Gove, Heaton, Hunter, Jones, MacDonald, Nelson, Phillips, Requa, Stewart, Tennant, Trask, Unger, 20. Noes: Messrs. Dean, Dixon, Hess, Mr. Speaker, 4. Mr. MacDonald moved that the bill be read by title only, carried final passage of the capital bill. The bill was accordingly read a third time by title, and finally passed by the following vote. Eyes: Messrs. Barclay, Calder, Claggett, Curler, Elliott, Gillespie, Heaton, MacDonald, Nelson, Requa, Tennant, Unger, and Mr. Speaker, 13. Noes: Messrs. Brumfield, Dean, Dixon, Fisher, Gove, Hess, Hunter, Jones, Phillips, Stewart, and Trask, 11. Territorial Enterprise, February 1864. Legislative Proceedings. House, 38th Day. Carson, February 18, 1864. The Capital Question. Mr. Calder, according to previous notice, moved a reconsideration of the vote of yesterday, by which the Capital Bill passed. He said his objections had been removed by the bond submitted by Mr. Stewart. Mr. Claggett spoke at some length on the subject, in demonstration of the fact that a bond could not be drawn under such circumstances that would be valid and binding. Mr. Brumfield replied rather warmly, in reply to the old argument about newspaper criticism which could be brought to bear on the legislature if the capital were in Virginia, he was especially bitter on the bulletin, said he supposed it would be the favorite that paper which was to have been teeming with mining taxation articles today but was silent had been purchased again doubtless as for the advantage a community might derive from the presence of the capital he couldn't appreciate the proposition he didn't want the capital at virginia he was going there to live and he didn't want to be bothered with it 
as to buying the capital with the bond now before the house neither ormsby county nor the legislature had a right to buy and sell the capital after some further debate mr gillespie moved the previous question which motion prevailed and discussion was blockaded the motion to reconsider was then put and lost exclamation point rep by the following tie vote clinching the thing as far as the house is concerned eyes Messrs. Brumfield, Dean, Dixon, Fisher, Gove, Hess, Hunter, Jones, Phillips, Stewart, and Trask, 11. Noes, Messrs. Calder, Claggett, Curler, Elliott, Gillespie, Heaton, MacDonald, Nelson, Tennant, Unger, and Mr. Speaker, 11. Absent, Mr. Requa. Don't know whether he dodged or not. Dodged the issue, Mr. Barclay. After the above bully proceedings and on motion of Mr. MacDonald, the House took a recess until 2.30 p.m. Thursday afternoon. The sergeant-at-arms brought in Messrs. Dean, Phillips, Tennant, Jones, Gillespie, and Unger. Mr. Dean had been talking over family matters. Mr. Phillips had been engineering a lawsuit. Mr. Tennant had been on committee business. Messrs. Jones and Gillespie were playing billiards. And Mr. Unger's child was sick, and he had been playing marbles with her. Mr. Brumfield moved that Mr. Unger be granted leave of absence to continue playing marbles with her. Laughter. A motion to fine Mr. Gillespie a box of cigars for engaging in unholy practice of playing billiards was lost by a tie vote, ten to ten, notwithstanding that youth has a remittance at Wells Fargo from his creditors in Virginia, and which he denied the same. Mark. The absentees were all excused. Territorial Enterprise, February 1864, Legislative Proceedings, Friday Afternoon, Carson, February 19th. Mr. Gillespie moved to reduce the sergeant-at-arms salary to $9 per day, and strike out that portion which gives the reporter $7 per day. Mr. Barclay said Mr. Gillespie was not so economical when he presented his own bill. Mr. Fisher said he ought to remember the verse, The mercy I to others show, that mercy show to me. Considering the mercy shown him by the House, his opposition comes with a bad grace from him. I feel called upon to observe that Mr. Gillespie got huffy. I would prefer to call it by a milder term, but I cannot conscientiously do so. Mr. Gillespie got huffy. Rep. After some further debate, Mr. Gillespie explained that there was no vindictiveness in him. All his motives were dictated from on high. From on high, sir! Tremendous applause. He went on and made further and even more aggravatedly absurd remarks. Mr. Barclay said it was customary to pay the reporters. Mr. Gillespie's motion in relation to the reporters was lost by the following vote. Eyes, Messrs. Claggett, Gillespie, Hess, Hunter, Nelson, Phillips, Tennant, and Trask, eight. Noes, Messrs. Barclay, Brumfield, Calder, Curler, Dean, Dixon, Fisher, Gove, Heaton, Jones, MacDonald, Stewart, Unger, and Mr. Speaker, fifteen. Council, afternoon session, thirty-ninth day, Carson, February nineteenth, removal of the capital. Mr. Daggett moved that the capital bill be taken from the table. Mr. Coddington moved that the bill be indefinitely postponed. Upon the latter's motion, a lengthy discussion ensued, Mr. Daggett opposing, and Messrs. Curry, Coddington, Sturdivant, Negus, and Hall supporting it. 
Mr. Curry presented a communication from certain citizens of Carson City, binding themselves in the sum of $20,000 to furnish suitable halls and rooms for the legislature and territorial offices free of cost, provided that the capital be allowed to remain at Carson City while Nevada remained a territory. At the close of the debate, the motion to indefinitely postpone was carried by the following vote. Ayes, Messrs. Coddington, Curry, Negus, Sturdivant, Waldron, Mr. President. Noes, Messrs. Daggett, Flagg, Shelton, Thompson. Territorial Enterprise, February 1864. Legislative Proceedings. House, Last Day, 40th. Carson, February 20. The chaplain not being present, Mr. Fisher suggested that the Virginia reporter be requested to officiate in his place. By courtesy of the House, the Virginia reporter was allowed to explain that he was not on it. Excused. Mr. Phillips moved a call of the House. Carried. Mr. Gillespie was produced before the bar of the House. Mr. Brumfield moved, as the heaviest punishment that could be inflicted upon him, that he be denied the comfort of making a single motion for the space of an hour. Laughter. Mr. Barclay moved that he be fined five dollars, and the same be paid to the sergeant-at-arms. Mr. Phillips moved to amend by contributing the money to the sanitary fund. The motions were lost. Messrs. Dixon and Hunter were brought in and fined a box of cigars each. The sergeant-at-arms said Mr. Claggett was sick in bed. The speaker said he must come anyhow. Mr. Fisher wanted the editor of the Independent sent for. Laughter. The speaker said he did not think Mr. Claggett needed purging. Laughter. Mr. Heaton came forward and was excused. Notice. Mr. Stewart gave notice of an act to permanently locate the capital on the south side of Captain Prey's sawmill on Lake Tahoe in Douglas County. Sensation. But nothing further appears in the record concerning this proposed bill. H.N.S. A message was received from the council asking the return of the bill for the removal of the capital. Another of those grave council jokes. Rep. In view of these portentous symptoms, a call of the House was ordered. After calling the roll, Mr. Stewart moved that further proceedings under the call be dispensed with. The chair decided the motion carried. A motion to indefinitely postpone the council message was lost. Eyes 9, nose 11. The motion to comply with the council's request carried. Eyes 11, nose 8. Confusion and contention, so to speak. The vote was even taken over again, with the following result. Eyes, Messrs. Barclay, Calder, Claggett, Elliott, Gillespie, Heaton, MacDonald, Nelson, Tennant, Unker, and Mr. Speaker, 11. Nose, Messrs. Brumfield, Curler, Dean, Dixon, Fisher, Gove, Hunter, Jones, Phillips, Stewart, and Trask, 11. Mr. Speaker pro tem, Mr. Fisher, decided the motion lost. Mr. Barclay wished to remind our worthy reporter that he didn't dodge the question this time. His head is right. I cannot even swear that he dodged it before, with malice aforethought. Good authority says his absence before was unavoidable. I believe it. A man who votes as firmly as Mr. Barclay does for reporters against log-rolling members would be apt to stick to his points upon all occasions when the same was possible. How's that? Rep. Saturday afternoon. Council bill to amend the act to prohibit gambling. The bill was read. The clerk pronounces the names of all games glibly and without any perceptible foreign accent. Rep. Saturday night. 
Mr. Stewart drew his everlasting toll-road on the house again. This has been the old regular result of every five minutes' idleness to-day. Rep. Third House. The institution resolved itself into a respectable body, as expressed in the above heading. Mr. Thomas Hanna was elected assistant clerk, and came forward and took the oath. Mr. Claggett introduced a voluminous bill for the relief of certain citizens of Ormsby County. It appropriates Curry's Warm Springs, gives it to these parties as a franchise for a swimming school, and—never mind, I will cease reporting and listen to the fun. Rep. The independent of this morning touched upon Mr. Claggett's seeming repugnance to the use of the comb. On this hint, Mr. Barclay and other members of the House had procured a prodigious wooden comb, and conferred upon your servant the honor of presenting it. Rep. Mr. Mark Twain inquired if testimonials were still in order, and received an affirmative reply from the Speaker. He arose in his place, and addressed Mr. Claggett as follows. Never mind publishing it again. I had no speech prepared, and therefore I was obliged to infringe upon etiquette to some extent. That is to say, I had to take Mr. Fisher's speech, apologizing to that gentleman, of course, and read it to Mr. Claggett, merely saying comb where the word cane occurred, and legislator in the place of parliamentarian, and slinging in a few as-it-wers and so-to-speaks, etc., to add grace and vigor to the composition. I think I must be a pretty good reader. The audience appeared to admire Fisher's speech more when I delivered it than they did when he delivered it himself. Mr. Claggett received the testimonial and replied felicitously, as he is wont to do. He concluded by saying it was a college practice to give the ugliest student a penknife, with instructions to give it to a man uglier than himself, if he should ever find one. He liked the idea. He thought it his duty to confer the comb upon some person whose hair needed its offices more than his own. He passed it over to Mr. Hunter of Washoe, applause and laughter. Baskets of wine were now brought in, with the compliments of Theodore Winters, President of the Washoe Agricultural, Mining, and Mechanical Society, and the house rested a while to drink health and prosperity to that gentleman. Shortly after, other baskets were produced per order, and at the expense of the speaker, and the operation of drinking was further continued. Hunter's Memorial Mr. Hunter, by request, came forward and read a long, solemn, magnificent, highfalutin memorial about the mines, religion, chemistry, social etiquette, agriculture, and other matter proper to a document of this kind. The House applauded tempestuously and laughed. They laughed immoderately. Why they did it I cannot imagine, for I never heard an essay like this one before in my life. Now that is honest. Mr. Hunter finally got angry and refused to finish reading the discourse, but when it was explained to him that only lobby members had been laughing all the time, he was satisfied, of course. I would like to hear the memorial read in Virginia. Mr. Stewart, from the special committee, reported that the governor had no further communications to make. Mr. Elliott offered a resolution that the House adjourn, sign a die, at 11.30 p.m. Mr. MacDonald, true to his old regular motion, to adjourn, moved to amend by making the hour 12 p.m. The motion prevailed, and from this time until midnight, fun ran high. At 12 p.m., Mr. Speaker declared the House adjourned, sine die. The members went up to the governor's and had a good time for an hour. 
The old man is as competent as any that walks to make an evening pass pleasantly. Wine, music, anecdotes, and sentiments composed the program. At 2 a.m., the exhilarated members closed the frolic by serenading the speaker at the White House. End of section 16